Hello, my name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to The New Leaf Project. Thanks for tuning in and hanging out with us. If you are new around the network, we are a collaborative, missional, relational, creative group that supports, equips, and connects church planters, spiritual entrepreneurs, and missional practitioners here in post-Christian Canada. How's it going, Jared? It's going not too bad, really. Not Good. too bad. Things okay. are thawing out here, and I'm really happy uh, about today's episode. I'm really excited, actually. So, Elle, tell me a little bit, or tell us. I already know, but, you know. Tell us, the people listening at home, or in their garage, or cutting their grass, or driving in their car, tell them what we're going to be talking about. Well, today I am talking with Xenia Chan. She is a church planter uh, in Richmond Hill. Um, uh, she's such... That's in Ontario, right? <laughs> that Don't is in know? Ontario. Sorry, okay. yes. She There's so many things to say about Xenia. <laughs> she is an academic. Uh, she may not call herself this, but I think of her as a, a budding theologian. She is um, such a wonderful woman and so gifted and talented. And it was such a pleasure to sit down and talk about um, her journey through ministry as a woman, um, her academic journey, but then also how um, they have uh, planted a church during the pandemic online and how that has sort of um, been um, emerging. So it was a great conversation and just a really interesting person to be paying attention to in the Canadian scene. I am really excited to hear this. So let's not delay any further. Let's listen to your interview with Xenia Chan. Well, hello, friends. I am hanging out today with the one, the only, Xenia Chan here on the New Leaf Podcast. Get ready, friends. This is going to be a good one. Hello, Xenia. How are you today? Good morning. So I like when people give their own introductions and share a little bit about who they are and what they're up to. So for those who are listening who do not know you, share a little bit about what, who you are and what you're doing. I usually like to introduce myself by who I belong with as opposed to what I do. So my parents are from Hong Kong and they settled here in, oh, I won't give away their age. That'd be rude. Um, but, uh, and then they had me. So I've grown up in Canada my whole life. And I currently belong with a group of people who meet online and they're really wonderful. That says nothing about me. I mean, it says something, just not all yeah. the things. No, certainly none of the things. Uh, as to what I do, um, oh, maybe I should tell you a little bit about where I am. I am in Richmond Hill. It's a little sleepy suburb um, just north of Toronto. We became a city two years ago, which is kind of cool. But everybody still thinks that we're a town. We're the kind of place that you can go next door and still borrow a cup of sugar. And that's apparently that's the norm. Um, so that's, that's where I am right now. Um, as to what I do, I've been experimenting with a few friends, planting a church, and I'm currently doing my PhD at the University of Toronto at Wycliffe College in Old Testament, Hebrew Bible. And I really like reading and drinking coffee. Those are all good things. Those are all good things especially the reading and coffee part. I have so many questions that I want to ask you. <laughs> so what, uh, why don't we start with the whole conversation around um, when we don't have to spend a long time with women in ministry or female church planters, but you are a rare breed. 
um, as one who scours the, the, the landscapes of Canada to find female church planters, unless there's just some group I just don't know about, uh, which is entirely a possibility. It's hard to find a lot of um, female-led church planting initiatives, so oftentimes co, sometimes with a husband or something, but um, you're, you're a female-led church planting team, right? Like it's you, you're at the, at the leadership. So tell me why you got involved in church planting and, and what, what's it been like as you guys have started literally in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah. Um, I, so unlike a lot of women who grew up in the church, I actually grew up with female pastors. And so uh, none of, none of female leadership hangups that a lot of evangelicals have were an issue for me. Uh, it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I realized that there was this interesting glass ceiling where some roles were kind of excluded for women. Um, so, but growing up, I just, I had very strong female role models for me. And then when I went off to campus ministry, um, my campus minister was a woman um, led and she planted her fellowship. So she and another friend planted their fellowship. So um, in terms of planting, in terms of um, women, like it just kind of came to the fore when I was in university. I was part of this sort of burgeoning fellowship on campus and I just got hooked. Um, I got to see God's work at play on this campus. Um, my, my group of friends that we planted together, uh, we're still really good friends to this day. And I got a glimpse of what the kingdom of God could look like in a campus setting uh, when I was in my early 20s. And then I did a stint in campus ministry. And honestly, I had way more fun planting a fellowship than I did in working in an established fellowship. Um, and it wasn't just because, you know, the people were fine, but there was something exciting about participating in what God was doing in the unknown that just really got at me. Um, and then, you know, I tried the institutional church route. Uh, it was really good, except I was always trying to do new things. And within an established system, when you tweak things a little bit too much, people kind of get frustrated, um, shall I say. And so the other thing too, was when I got the call to ministry, I heard very clearly from God um, in a series of visions and then confirmations from different people that uh, renewal was just going to be part of my calling. Um, that there is something very, very powerful about um, this image that I got, which was an image of Richmond Hill and um, being part of planting, like literally planting seeds and being with a bunch of people um, my calling has always been about being called with people and planting seeds and watching things grow and uh, praying that the heavens open up and rain will come down and the sun will shine. Like none of this is, it was, it always felt like a privilege and even a gift to be part of that work as opposed to, oh yes, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pioneer a new thing. I just, it, it just wasn't that. It was God saying, these are your gifts. This is the alongside that I'm calling you to and um, would you would you come with me in this adventure so yeah I think it's kind of always been sort of intuitive in some respects 
God has had to have very direct conversations with me at various times. Most recently, it was last March, around this time last year. And I, I'd been working in an institutional setting for a little while, and I was watching a lot of people sort of fall away from their faith. And, you know, I think institutional churches do a really good job in some respects of uh, maintaining community, but for some people, it just isn't enough. And I'd walked with enough people who had hangups with the traditional evangelical tradition, whether um, it was around sexuality or whether it was around what they saw as hypocrisy in the church, or whether it was that they were thinking differently theologically in terms of tradition. And there wasn't room for them. And I just thought, oh, this is really interesting. And then I was hanging out in a coffee shop and pre-pandemic. And I was stuck in this institutional setting where I had to show up for office hours, but no one ever come to office hours. But then also I was hanging out and with these people and studying the scriptures with them and hanging out with them. And, you know, we'd, we'd go for dinner and, you know, they have a little bit too much to drink, but anybody knows that that's when the vulnerable moments start to show up. And I remember just sitting there and and this is so strange. And I think for a lot of evangelicals, this kind of boggles the mind because you think drunkenness and the spirit, well, you know, spirits certainly, but not the Holy Spirit um, being present there. And, but it was this moment, a couple of moments of witness, I guess, of beauty where I, I just gained enough trust that, or, you know, the spirit was working or, you know, people's vulnerabilities were a little bit more open. And I got to pray with people through significant hurts. And I thought, what am I doing stuck in an office? And when, when God is out there doing something else. So those sort of experiences were culminating in me. And by the time the pandemic came around, I thought, oh, I feel like this is an unveiling moment. Everyone was saying, you know, 2020, this is the year of clear sight for my charismatic friends. And I thought, well, yes, clear sight indeed. Um, what have we been doing as a church? And I said, and, you know, God had been pulling on my heart to plant. And I said, God, I don't have any money. I don't want to do this. There is, there's so much risk involved. And then he said to me, you know, you've risked before. Um, I've provided for you. I just got called out in so many different ways. Um, and I remember God saying, you know, do you, do you trust me with this thing? Do you trust that there are others around you who feel these same sorts of tensions and calls and, and that the, the call on your life about being alongside of, of nurturing, of nourishing, of midwifing, um, do you not trust that other people will come alongside you in this? No, so I said, okay, I give up God. Sure, yes. Um, which is about how my spiritual journey goes. You know, the Lord gives me a call and I'm kind of hesitant and then I'll think about it and I'll throw myself kind of full throttle at it. But that's, that's really how that came about. Sorry, that was a little bit convoluted. I loved it. So you're, you've, you've processed all this stuff you're at this place, you, I think, decide to make the decision to, uh, to move forward and then uh, pandemic. 
and you still launch anyway. So uh, I'd be curious to know how that's gone and how you guys have been able to cultivate community throughout the pandemic. Yeah, so we started with something like, I sent a blast email to a couple of close friends who I knew were rethinking the church. And a couple of them came back to me and said, yes, we'd love to do this. Um, a couple of people have since moved on and joined other things, which I think is great because I think, you know, they're being called elsewhere. But uh, a core has kind of coalesced. And so we meet every Sunday night. Um, and we started as a, as a discernment group. So we've been, I, I, said in, I said last year, that we would discern for a year and decide whether or not we would plant a church. And uh, through, this, through this year, people have said, well, actually, I'm not prepared at this time to be a part of planting the church, but keep us in the loop. Other people have said, actually, this online community is exactly what I've wanted in a church community. Um, a lot of our current work, because we work with people who feel done with the church, has been about deconstruction, has been about uh, unraveling the sort of wounding that has been that has occurred in the church, has been lamenting the fact that we even have to do this at all. Um, but we meet Sunday nights and in my own process of deconstruction, when I was in my early 20s, scripture was a really important part of that journey because it was in the scriptures that I met God again. And so we decided as a group of people that we wanted to journey through a gospel. Um, so you have to know that a whole bunch of us are seminary trained. And so uh, we've, a couple of us have done Mark in Greek and I was studying Mark this summer for in preparation for uh, language exams. And I thought, I don't want to do Mark. And, and because my campus group loves Mark. Uh, so I just thought, we, we can't do Mark. Uh, personally, I love the Gospel of Luke. And um, other people had said, oh, well, we've done Matthew. So I thought, okay, well, I think we need to come anew to the text. I think we need to come anew to what the spirit is doing among us. We need a new text for our new group. And not that the gospel of John is a particularly new text. It's been around for you know centuries, but it was, an, it was a newer text to us because we hadn't you know, taken apart the Greek and you know, restitched a theological argument. And so we decided uh, no to the synoptic gospels, yes to the gospel of John, and we've been journeying through the Gospel of John. And um, well, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, our, our community has, we decided to do a, a bit of a timeline for ourselves. And my friend Zoe, who is remarkable, she's one of the core, uh, she decided she was going to take Jeremy Baramy from The Good Place. She said, this is our timeline. And then we stitched our different events of uh, what the last couple of months have been onto Jeremy Baramy knowing that time isn't exactly linear and our concept of growth isn't exactly linear. And then what do you do with, uh, I shouldn't give this away. I'll give it away. It's, you can watch The Good Place on Netflix. Um, <laughs> but the, the dot in the eye, you know, uh, where does that go? So it's been going really well. By Advent, we had decided that we were going to adopt that part of the church calendar. Um, we do daily prayer in the evenings at 9 p.m. 
and we did Lent. We we're doing Lent, um, and we've decided to adopt the church calendar as our calendar. Um, but we've adjusted a little bit, and we've so we do Eucharist uh, every last Sunday, and we do Story Sunday. Oh, sorry, we do Eucharist the first Sunday. We do Story Sunday the last Sunday. So what we do is we've committed to uh, remembering the covenant, remembering God's story in our lives. So we spend most of the month in scripture going through God's story. And then the last Sunday, we talk about God's story and our story together. And then we celebrate the Eucharist the week after. Um, but yeah, most, you know, sometimes I'm a, I'm a fly by the seat of your pants sort of person. So some weeks it's, it really is fly by the seat of your pants. Um, a lot of people have said we need a little bit more structure. So, you know, structure is coming, but that's, that's what we do. I heard a rumor that you recently landed on a name. Yes. So what name uh, did you land on? We've decided to be Salah. There is a second half of that name coming. Uh, we're still in conversation. Um, what I, so I'm a, anybody who knows me will say Xenia is a bit of a hurricane. It's true. I move quite quickly. I think and read quite a bit. And so people are always saying, Xenia, you got to slow down. And this process of naming has sort of accentuated how fast paced I like things to be. But my community is wiser than I am. And People were like, no, we need to be deliberate about this name. We need to actually think it through because naming is important. And so we decided we wanted to be Salah. And my friend Simon is the one who came up with it. And it, it we're, we're contrarians, like most people who leave the evangelical or feel like they're leaving the evangelical church or rethinking the evangelical tradition. And so... Um, a bunch of us also really love the Hebrew Bible. So Salah for us is from the Psalms. I mean, in general, it's from the Psalms. And it's a textual marking that nobody really knows what it does. So we thought, well, this is perfect. It's in the text. It is of the text, which is what we are. And we don't know what it is. And it exemplifies for us the mystery of sort of our process of re-knowing, unknowing, uh, re-remembering um, what it means to be people of the text. But the other thing is that we love the Psalms. So I, I forgot to say, we also do midday prayer. And um, Simon has been instrumental in crafting that. And he has been taking us through the Psalms. And we realize that the Psalms are this place where uh, we get to learn what it means to follow after God. So there's this great book. Oh, what's his name? Scholar in Australia. His last name is, I want to say it's Starling. Anyways, this is very bad. It is too early in the morning for me. Um, but he, he says, he, his whole book is uh, Hermeneutics as Apprenticeship. So uh, Interpretation as Apprenticeship. And he makes his argument that the way we read the text actually should be apprenticing to the scriptures and following in the ways of God as the scripture lays out for us. And so the, the Psalter is kind of this really 
key piece within the text that exemplifies this apprenticeship because the various psalmists will wrestle with their faith in very public displays. They will call the congregation to wrestle with them. It is, there are hymns of celebration as much as there are individual and communal laments. And we want our church community to embody that. We want to be people who live in the celebration as much as, it, as we live in the lament. Um, and we want to be oriented around a deep communal and individual relationship with God. Um, and then also because there are so many ways you can mess up Salah. And uh, there's a whole bunch of us who are of Hong Kong descent. And um, we were just joking around about all the ways that this could be botched if uh, we don't give it a, you know, a, a sort of Chinese moniker next to it. Um, and we thought, you know, if people are going to make fun of us for our name, then we, we actually own that sort of uh, mockery because we're, we've actually done a fair bit of making fun of the name, ranging from um, a sort of colloquial term for aunties in Chinese to Sailor Moon. Like there's just so many ways in which, <laughs> so we thought, you know, if people are going to make fun of us for a name, they're just laughing with us because we, we got there first. As one who comes from a church whose name is often mispronounced, I understand that. I understand the joys of, of laughing at yourself before others laugh. So good idea. Mm -hmm. Good idea. I love the way that you're describing the rhythms that you've adopted. I'm wondering what's that going to look like when we come out of online only mode like how have you guys kind of considered how you're going to be as a community once the uh, pandemics are over are, are there elements that you're you're considering keeping yeah so uh, I'm a big neighborhood person and part of it is because when I was in seminary I took this course that just fundamentally changed the way that I looked at neighborhoods and I looked at uh spaces and places and how they form us. Um, I mean, you know, James K. Smith down at Calvin College has done wonderful work in uh, naming sort of our habitus and how we were shaped and formed by cultural liturgies. But one of those cultural liturgies is actually the, the physical places that we inhabit. And, you know, the, the Hebrew text, even the New Testament text, uh, really displays how much that is true. Like Paul changes from location to location. Um, we under like land is so intrinsic and to people's the people of God's covenant with God. Um, so yeah, place is particular. Place is formative, and if we forget about place and we forget about embodiment, uh, we risk we risk a tangible expression of being able to relate with one another, relate with God and relate with creation, which I, I think is um, sort of the crux of our faith, um, that restoration piece of Shalom. So to answer your question, uh, I thought that we were going to come out of this with a physical location and that um, we were just going to transition to that, but, uh, you know, part of, part of following Jesus is about pivoting. And it's not that the fundamental truths change, it's that uh, context changes. So uh, we've been thinking a lot about what it looks like to be a community that has both an online expression and an offline 
physical. I'm not, I'm not sure I like the term offline <laughs> physical expression. And uh, so we're, we're going to do, be doing that. Uh, how that looks like, I have no idea yet. We will be keeping our daily rhythms of prayer. Um, I think that's really important for our community. And, um, but yeah, I have, I, I've been doing significant research into Richmond Hill. I love the city. I grew up here. Um, been getting to know uh, some of sort of uh, the people who, um, what's that, what's that phrase that Preston Puto likes to say all the time? So, you know, Preston Puto talks about this being incarnational and missional in his own neighborhood. And, uh, you know, he talks about bees. And I've actually been quite inspired by his bee talk, um, among other things, and thinking about the land. But that's a side tangent we can come back to if we want. Um, but he talks about Keystone people. And so I've been connecting with the community. There's lots and lots of churches in this area who've been doing really good work already. But the quadrant of the city that I'm looking at is the southwestern quadrant of Richmond Hill. And there are very few churches there at the moment, whereas um, the sort of the middle quadrant of the city is saturated with churches. And then there's again, a sort of, um, I think Oak Ridges probably could use a couple churches. Um, but it's been really great to get to know some of the churches and the work that they're doing in the city um, and to partner with them in it. And, and the thing is, is that um, this city is really interesting. I grew up in a particular section of the city being of Hong Kong descent. And I know that part of the city like the back of my hand. But there are other parts of the city where um, other people groups live that I'm like, oh, I have no idea about these parts of the city. And so my pandemic time was actually driving around and looking at houses and looking at how the neighborhoods were shaped and um, looking to see where the schools were located and where social services were and um, looking at some of the, you know, did you know that Richmond Hill regularly wins awards for their gardens? Um, they're like, they've got this huge garden sort of uh, contest every year and people do a lot of intentional work around uh, cultivating them. I'm like, wow, I want to get to know those people, you know? I, I mean, I'm deeply, not deeply, I'm very allergic to nature as a general rule, which everyone laughs at me for. Um, but, uh, you know, people who cultivate gardens are people who are, who are thinking about beauty. Um, and, you know, it might be an aesthetic thing. It might just be because, you know, they want their front lawn to look nice. But um, there's been a big push in the city to think about what it looks like to create lawns that are actually healthy for the environment. And honestly, without this pandemic, I wouldn't have known because uh, I got connected to a whole bunch of Facebook groups, the, the good neighbors, caremongering groups that where people are starting to talk about uh, these sorts of things together. And so in a lot of ways, um, the connectivity of the, of the pandemic um, has been a, a huge gift uh, just for people who are trying to be connected to one another and trying to figure out what the shalom of the city looks like. Uh, but going back to your question. Uh, so we will have an online format. I assume that our online prayer times in the evening will continue. I think it's really important that uh, even our online expression of worship on Sundays will continue in part because a lot of people who have walked away from the church have a hard time imagining walking back into any sort of building 
the pressure is too high. Um, it's been really gratifying and such a tremendous privilege to watch people come into our group with the cameras off. And in a couple of weeks, they turn their cameras on and a couple of weeks after that, they start talking. And when we're, we're crafting our values still, but we love the idea of the table. And I don't know where this phrase came from, but it was either Zoe or Tabitha, but it was this idea that there's always an extra seat at the table. There's always an extra place sitting. Um, you, you can just sit there. Uh, you don't even have to bring anything to the table. Your presence is enough. And we found that the online format has been perfect for that in many ways. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's not been not so great. I really fully believe in an embodied Eucharist. I think that the presence of Christ actually needs tangible presence. But you know, in a lot of ways, I think the online format has been a blessing for us, just in terms of you know, providing a community that people feel safe in. That's really interesting how you're talking about how you you're how you've um, organized and, and the idea that people have felt comfortable to you know first they come with the camera off then the that that's that's and they become more in, engaged with the community that's that's really interesting. Um, one of the things I was wondering as you were describing kind of the types of people that your church has been um, gathering. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite conversations, you know, is around topics similar to what you're describing with those who are done with the church. And only because I have so many people in my life that that is their, that is their reality. And I, I long to sit at the table with them again. Do you think from your perspective and, and what you've been doing, is there a way to stop the bleed <laughs> or, or, or is the system set up to provide the results that it's providing and those of us who are tuned into the fact that sometimes uh, that doesn't fit for some folks is our job to create communities like you've created? Or is there a way to actually stop the bleed, do you think, within Canadian evangelicalism? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, when I set out to, in my head, so this is not my group, but when I set out to think about church planting one of my core values was I do not want to fish from the same pond a lot of people set up churches that kind of you know it, it kind of feeds into the consumer mindset of you know my, my church doesn't really suit me at this moment so I'm just going to go somewhere else and that's simplifying but um, a lot of the sort of growth that happens in church plants comes from uh, other churches so uh, yeah, I think that, I don't know if the bleed is, like, I understand where you're coming from, but I think, um, I don't, I think that there are particular communities that suit some people and don't suit others. And so I think the fishing from the same pond builds this competitive mentality in people where, uh, established churches will say, well, why are you planting here? Why? We don't need you. Like, you're just taking our people. And I, I think in that way, yes, that's a, that's a fair and valid critique. Um, but in other ways, I think church plants are probably better thought about as part of the ecosystem of health. Um, I think that 
I have better capacity to walk with a smaller group of people through wounding than a larger established church of a couple hundred, um, just because our community is smaller and we have room to you know, pivot as quickly as we do or fly by the seat of your pants, um, as I like to say. And I think that, you know, um, I, there's a, I was reading, I think it was in Faith today, a couple of months back, but, you know, church plants sometimes will be that refuge space for people. And then once people feel like, oh, actually, I feel, I feel like God has really worked in my life. There's been significant healing. Sometimes they actually go back to the established church. And so in some ways, um, not saying that church plants are hospitals or rehab centers or uh, whatever that metaphor is. But, um, you know, I, I think we actually need to treat church plants as part of the essential ecosystem of the larger church um, and to work collaboratively with one another without trying to compete. Um, but in terms of stopping the bleed, I think, yes, absolutely. Established churches, there, there's so much coming from an established church. I, there's so many things that I wish had happened that, that didn't. Um, and some of it was just because you know, like they had to run programs and some of those programs are really great. Like um, a lot of people who have kids with special needs will end up at established churches because they've got the resources uh, that certainly my church couldn't provide, not at this moment anyway. Um, kids programs, um, we, don't, we don't have kids at our church right now. We will, uh, but we don't currently. And so I, I think, you know, there's just, there's just some things that established churches are good at and some things that they really, really are not. Um, I, I, for instance, I think because established churches are set around systems, um, sometimes those systems aren't flexible enough for the sorts of conversations that uh, people want to have. And I think that's where, you know, church plants come in, right? Because maybe we're at the forefront of what's going on and we're the signal system that says the established church, hey, actually, let's pay attention to this. Um, can we invite you alongside to come along with us to see what God is doing? Um, and it's where I don't, I don't want to set myself up as someone who's against the established church. I want actually to be part of the system that says, hey, look at what God is incubating here. Like, let, let's look at, you know, I think it's Van Gelder who says, look at this experimental plot and see if maybe some of these things that we've learned out here can be applied in the in the main farm. I like that agricultural metaphor. I know I'm really about the farms today this morning. I'm feeling and it. Nature. And maybe it's because it's spring. Maybe it's because it's spring. <laughs> maybe it is that. So amongst all of the other things that you do, uh, you're also a part of uh, a podcast that is near and dear to the New Leaf Heart, uh, the Camp Podcast. So tell me a little bit about that and, and how you got connected with those guys, because I think previous to you being there, it was only guys. Yeah, so um, Shu and I go way back. Uh, I, this is a fun fact, but I actually knew his mom first. She ran a music camp when I was a kid. Nice. And Shu played the bottom half of Goliath when I was at this music camp. I, I won't, I'll spare you the details. Oh, I'm trying um, to imagine it in my head, but yeah. So, um, so I've known Shu a long time. He uh, ended up being a pastor at my home church. Uh, we've had really good conversations along the way. And then I got to know John um, because he actually helped me record some stuff 
that uh, a friend and I are working on. And um, anyways, that's, it might never get put out there. We're still thinking and dreaming about it. Um, it's a spoken word album. Oh. Yes. That and very um, intriguing. I'm not actually, there's a part of me that's not brave enough to share any of my work. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, and then Bernard and I hit it off at over, you know, our love, our mutual love of coffee and our unconventional ways of thinking about church. So, you know, I've been friends with these guys for a while and they, they've been trying to get me on the podcast for a little bit. And I said, I have nothing to say. I still think I have nothing to say most days. Um, but then uh, they got me on a, they were like, oh yeah, let's do this podcast episode. And I was, I just, I was like, what, what is it? And they said, oh, it's church too. And I thought, oh no, is it because I'm a woman? And then, you know, they, they're, you know, to their credit, they said, no, actually it's because we really value your perspective. And yes, also like a female perspective would be helpful here. So uh, my friend Daisy and I came in and we did that podcast. I think it's a two-parter. I was earlier last year before the pandemic. And um, and then they invited me to be part of the podcast full-time. But what I really enjoy about this podcast uh, ever since its genesis was that these are three guys who have been thinking quite deeply about the state of the church from, well, the Asian Canadian perspective. Um, it is still very heavily East Asian. We are working on it. Um, and we are working towards actually bringing in other Asian perspectives into the mix. Uh, we recently completed a nuns and duns uh, episode, a series, I should say. And I think uh, what I like most about being with these guys is that uh, there are very few topics that are off limits. And sometimes it's just us kind of shooting the breeze and talking about the stuff that has come up in our ministries. And sometimes it's us talking about the books that we've been reading. Um, and other times we're just hanging out with really cool people and experts in their fields and uh, getting them to bring in um, their specialties and thinking about how their, their work enriches our ministries in our context. So, I have been really grateful for them and the work that they've been doing. And it's been a real privilege actually to even be a part of their work. I do not like the nickname that they have given me. Uh, I'm not going to say that aloud here, but um, it really, yes. Anyways, I, uh, they're good friends of mine. I really enjoy doing it with them. And, uh, and it's been a really good experience. And I need to get a, I need to get a mic. That's what I've been told. Um, in terms of what you're dreaming about for the, the upcoming year, um, what are some of the things that are, you're excited about for your church plant or for ministry or for school? I mean, you've got your hands in so many pots. So what are, just, what are some of the things that are exciting you as you look ahead? I have been thinking about what this pandemic has meant for us. Um, I think we started off this conversation by talking about how 2020 was sort of supposed to be this year of clear sight. And I think this pandemic has been sort of that for us. It's been an unveiling. It's been a apocalyptic 
in some senses, at least for the North American church. And I think this is probably the first time in a little while that the North American church has thought about suffering and thought about um, the ways in which the church is broken. And it's a disruption. And in disruption, we, there's, there's a couple of different ways that we can respond. Uh, doubling down, <laughs> hiding in our bunkers, um, giving into our anxieties, um, or we can pause and reflect and re-examine our, our theologies, our, our praxis, our, our context. Um, and I, I really hope that the pandemic has been that for people, the latter, not the former. But for me, I've been, this season has been actually tremendously difficult. Um, I'm an extrovert. I don't know if that comes across. And being confined uh, without my community, as good as the online format has been, has been really, really hard for me. And so there's a part of me that just longs for things to go back to normal. And the sense of like, why can't, you know, but you know what, I don't think normal was ever good to begin with, maybe. Um, there's so much about my life that was about going at full throttle and doing one thing after another. And I know that my life still looks like that. I, you know, everybody thinks I'm busy all the time. It's not actually true. Um, I mean, it, it probably is true, but it doesn't feel true to me. So, um, but in the next year, I am hopeful that the church will remember who she is and heed the call of the spirit to join in God's mission. For my church, I want us to continue to be faithful people who welcome other people um, because Jesus is our host. Jesus is the one who welcomes and we just pass along that invitation. Um, and I, I think there's, you know, my, my, uh, my doctoral work is around a, a trauma perspective on the text. And so I, I'd love for us to be a little bit more trauma informed. Uh, what does it look like to walk alongside people who've been deeply traumatized by this time? And we all have been. Um, but, you know, like there's uh, even this unraveling around different scandals has unveiled that we're not trauma informed as a church. We're not particularly cognizant of the ways in which we have hurt people. Um, but, you know, and I think and my, a lot of my work, because I work with prophetic texts, has been around repentance and around lament and around confession. Um, so, you know, I think, what does it look like for us to be a people of confession again? To be a people who lament deeply at the state of our world, but in the same breath are able to hope because we know how much God loves and desires good for this place. So the next year is a long time. Somebody said, you know, What's that meme that's been going around? The thing that says like, oh, what are you, what's your five-year plan? Well, the pandemic happened. So, you know, there was no plan. Um, my big abstract plan for this next year is continue to be faithful, continue to be present, uh, 
continue to learn and think about justice-oriented ways of being well with my neighbors. And uh, above all, I, I want to see um, people get involved and fall in love deeply with um, God's vision for shalom for his creation. Those are good things to want. I can get on board with that. Well, uh, I'm aware of the time. And, uh, but before I let you go, as someone who is uh, an avid reader, I would love for you to share with people, what are you currently reading? Or what's a couple of books you've read in the past while that have really been meaningful to you? Because I always, uh, I always find it interesting to find out uh, what interesting people are reading. In a given week, I read a lot. So that's a hard question for me. Um, you could narrow it down to like the last couple of months. It doesn't even have to be what you read this past week. Okay, this one you'll like. Jesus and John Wayne. Hmm. Um, was I, thought, I thought it was a perfect book for 2020. Yeah, she really nailed her timing on that uh, <laughs> on her release date. Though, though I doubt she knew when she planned no, it. It would be right. so perfect. Um, there's this beautiful book by Madeline Tien called "Do Not Say We Have Nothing," that has kind of been haunting me uh, for the last couple of years. She's a Canadian author. Mm, let me think. I was reading this book by Alan Roxborough and Mark Lyle Branson, um, Leadership, God's Agency and Disruption, that I thought was really helpful as well. Um, I, I walked through a book uh, with a friend called Indigenous Rights by Chelsea Vowell. That was really good. Now I'm looking at my shelf because I'm like, what have I read? I mean, you gave us a few. That's it's not like you gave us nothing in that list. Oh, um, there's this book by Eric Kleinberg. Uh, what's it called? Uh, palaces, something about palaces. It's about libraries and why they're important public spaces. Hmm. Um, an essential for community. Um, but, the, you know, and then I, you know, I've, weather book has been really good. I generally have a stack of books on my bed. So I'm just looking at that stack. I'm like, is there anything in particular? You've given us a few good ones. You know what? I was just looking down there. Um, I, I realized that I'm pointing at something that nobody can see. That's okay. Um, but um, I've really, I've been rethinking about, um, oh, you know what? I, I really should name this one. Um, I forget his name though. That's bad. Um, uh, Quan Sing Chen, Asia as Method, has been really instrumental in helping me rethink what um, 
decolonial thought should look like from an Asian perspective. That's fantastic. Thank you for that list. I appreciate it's it. It's a bit eclectic. That's all right. I expect nothing but. Xenia, <laughs> thank you for taking time to chat with, with us. Thank you for uh, your faithfulness and the, the great work that, that you're doing over there in Richmond Hill and, and online. We are beyond thrilled that you've been hanging around New Leaf and uh, we have been able to get to know you a bit better. So thank you for everything you're doing and thank you for church planting as a lady and saying yes to God's call, even if you were a little hesitant at first. Uh, we appreciate it. So thank you. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. That was L. Pike, our very own, and Xenia Chan, who I don't want to lay possession to quite yet, but she has been hanging around the New Leaf Network. She's been a part of our learning center. She shows up to the cafe uh, lots, especially on Fridays for the Women's Writing Collective. And uh, L, I just, I, would you allow me just a few minutes to say how much I like this person? Absolutely. Um, she is a result of the pandemic for us in terms of our connection. We never would have known her had we not taken everything online. Um, and getting to know her over the last 12 months, man, oh man, this is a smart person. And uh, what a gift, what an exciting gift to the Canadian church. Um, she, she represents so many important trends in the Canadian context. She has her finger on the pulse of so many of these important shifts. And she is so deeply rooted in, in the scriptures that I think that she is going to be an incredibly important voice coming forward. So I don't think uh, she's going anywhere. I think we're going to have her on this podcast a whole bunch. I remember last summer uh, in June when uh, when she was talking to us about the book of Amos and neighborhood church ministry. It was one of the most exciting sort of Old Testament current reality connections I'd, I've heard in a long time. So friends, if you haven't had the chance to, to check out uh, some of her teaching, she did an amazing job on our learning center. That's available on our website. So check that out. We'll, we'll give you some details on that in a minute. But Elle, what were some of the big takeaways for you in that? I love her spirit. I love her humility. Um, and I love her, um, just her courage to step out and to try something new with this church plant and to lead it. Um, I love how she described that the choosing of their name and just the way that um, they've kind of emerged during the pandemic. Um, it's interesting to note, um, you know, she has so many people that are connecting online that are from different areas, aren't even necessarily from the neighborhood. And they imagined originally that they would kind of be rooted in place in that way. And, and what that's looking like as people connect in that are all, all across the GTA and how that's going to affect the reality going forward. So um, I am so grateful that Xenia hangs around the New Leaf Network. I have learned so much from her already um, in her writing and in her speaking. And I'm just really excited to see where where her ministry opportunities will continue to go in the years to come. So it was really great to catch her um, at this interesting part at the beginning of their church plant. So it'll be interesting to see where it all goes as, as they move forward. Yeah, this is really going to be an exciting church plant. And just that little thing you, you mentioned there about um, 
the new questions people are asking about this sort of rooted in place type church planting. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked about this. We've, we've chatted about it at the cafe. Lots of people have lots of strong opinions about this, but it is really going to be fascinating in the months and years to come because the pandemic has created the, the a deeper and more realistic possibility of meeting online and perhaps being a distributed community uh, connecting from all kinds of places. And, uh, but Xenia's rooting in the story of Israel, rooting in, in the Old Testament, is going to provide some really important correctives to that story uh, going forward. Because obviously we don't want to be um, disembodied people. We've been doing that uh, while still having bricks and mortar buildings that we meet in. So uh, just because the internet exists doesn't mean that uh, all of a sudden the disconnection is worse. The disconnection existed well before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I think there's going to be a new call um, to a, a hybrid uh, way of operating in the church. I'm really excited to see this. And I think Xenia is going to be a very important voice. She's she is also like, I don't want to pretend like you just have to go to her church plant to, to hear from her. She's also one of the new contributors to the camp podcast, the Canadian Asian missional podcast, isn't she? Yes. We do talk about that a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that is, uh, you should, you should really give those folks a listen. They are, uh, one, they have some of the best guests, uh, uh, out there and they're telling a very important very fascinating Canadian story and I think um, I think uh, we need to go further uh, in in terms of letting those folks lead the way and shape the discussion uh, going forward so l if people want to go deeper with us maybe want to rub shoulders with uh, Xenia online, uh, want to connect deeper with the New Leaf Network. It's now easier than it's ever been, isn't it? It's true. Yes, we, we are still hanging out online in the Learning Center, which is really a, a learning community that we have created and curated since the pandemic began online on Thursday afternoons, uh, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time um, until 3. Sometimes those conversations go um, over time. And um, we've just been able to have practitioners and academics, missional leaders, thought leaders from all across Canada come and share for 20 minutes. Um, they share some information. We kind of wrestle with it together and Q&A or breakout rooms or kind of big group conversations. So that's available to anybody. Um, we're really looking forward to some upcoming conversations that we'll be having having um, through difficult conversations. We have someone that's coming. Her name is um, Dr. Betty Priest. She's from the organization Credence & Co. and is going to help us um, pastors and leaders navigate polarizing and difficult conversations. I'm sure many of you have had those this year. And, uh, yeah, my there guess sure is... has been a lot, hasn't there? <laughs> My guess is that will only continue. And so um, how do we do that well um, with a Jesus-centered lens? So she's coming and actually will be with us for a whole month, which is a real gift. So come check out the website, newleafnetwork.ca. Uh, we keep all of our information there. And then Jared, why don't you tell them about the cafe as well? Sure. So we meet Wednesdays and Fridays from 1 p.m. till 3 p.m. Eastern. And it is just, it's like a normal cafe, but there's no coffee. Uh, we have not perfected the technology of making coffee leak out of your computer in a safe way. So um, what happens is people just show up and we chat. 
we chat about stuff that we've been reading, we chat about this week's sermon, we chat about things that you're encountering at the local church level. Gee, have you ever tried to plant in this way? Um, and it's been an amazing way to just get to know other planters. So if you're looking for people to talk to, you're looking for people to bounce ideas off of, uh, or if you just want to take a meeting, we have these free uh, quote unquote tables um, and they're just breakout rooms. So you can have private conversations in our cafe and you can just address whoever else is just in there hanging out. So it's a lot of fun, but it's also a very excellent way to meet other people who are going through the same things you are asking some of the same questions you are and uh, get uh, get the genius that's in in the crowd and in the body of Christ in Canada. So that's totally free. You can, you can sign up on our website. And uh, beyond that, L, anything else you want to tell the good folks before we say goodbye? Come and hang out. Check out some of the stuff that we've got. We've always got some interesting stuff happening on the blog. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast, so thanks for that. If you feel like you'd like to leave us a review and, and uh, rate how we're doing, we would take that too. That would be all right as we continue to try to get more uh, conversations uh, going and more opportunities. So uh, come and check us out. Hang out with us. Um, drop in the cafe. Stop by the Learning Center. And um, yeah, we've got some things that we're cooking for the, the end of 2021 into 2020. 22, um, some events that we're planning. So um, be, on, be on the lookout. You can always sign up for our email list as well. That's also another easy way to, uh, to connect in because we send out regular emails. For those of you starving for human connection, those events in 2022, we are planning to have them in person and online. Indeed. It's going to be exciting. And I hope, hope to see you either virtually or physically in that space. It's going to be great. We're not ready to talk about it quite yet, but soon friends, very, very soon we will. Absolutely. All right, everyone. I think that's it for us uh, this time. Uh, tune in to future episodes and we'll see you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye friends.